What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 174 on this Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Happy Valentine's Day, a day late to everybody. Uh, it was a, a good good uh, start to the week. It's going to be busy finish to the week, though. This week has gotten hairy all of a sudden, hasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, we went we went from uh, it's diamond sports season, baby, and oh my gosh, Oklahoma took a defibrillator to themselves last night at the Lloyd Noble Center to we're going to talk to a lot of football players on Thursday, which is good, but it's, it, it's just random. We, I'll it's take February it. Media Day. It's, it's, we'll uh, how it. wonderful is it to have Media Day in February? When has that ever happened before? Never. It's unbelievable. Now it's the standard. The best is the standard. This is the best. We expect this from now Every on. Every year. Every year. Yeah. Brett Venables for 40 minutes or whatever, which it'll go over because it always does. And then, and then, yeah, 20 plus players coming your way on Thursday, tomorrow. Um, it's going to be a scene. And we're going to have a ton for you at all sooners. You know that. Uh, we're going to cover that thing as best we can. Uh, we're going to try and get every player if we can. Um, that's, that's the goal. It's going to be a challenge, but that's the goal. Uh, that's coming up tomorrow. It is Valentine's Day post because uh, Ryan and I we got to spend our great Valentine's Day at Lloyd Noble Center, the most romantic place on earth, uh, <laughs> last night. And uh, oh, you actually played pretty well. They got a win. We'll talk about that a little later on. But how about that? Maybe that team's not dead just yet. But we move on. We press on. Uh, we're making it through February. <laughs> I think I you outside. How about that? That's what that sounded like. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's more as soon as outside. <laughs> I, more maybe not dead yet, but they're definitely infected by the fungus in The Last of Us. That is, th- this is a zombie Oklahoma basketball team walking around. So no, they keep no coming one, back to life, don't they? Yeah, no one's popped them in the head yet to totally end it. But zombie Sooners yeah. basketball is is meandering about. That line last night, they were favored by a point and a half, and everybody was like, "What is that? How are they favored at home?" But you gotta just know when Vegas puts out just a stinky, smelly line like that. They just know. Don't know how they know, but they know. They know you rolled last night. We'll talk about that later on the show. Like I said, we do have some football, uh, of course, to talk about. I think you probably can guess where we're going to start and where we're going to dive in in this first segment. Last week, we're talking about, you know, all this reports that there's the television networks aren't thrilled. OU and Texas may be stuck until 2025. And then kaboom, uh, comes out officially, officially official, no more anything. It is done deal. It is a happening July 1st, 2024, Oklahoma Techs are moving to the SEC a year early. That means one more football season, one more everything season after these ones wrap up one more academic year. And then the conference change will finally happen. Reaction. I mean, we'll dive into all angles of it here on, on the show. That's what we're here for, but when this, this drops and it's finally official, your first thought that popped in your brain is as this, this is actually going to happen here in, uh, you know, next summer. Yeah. So you talk to, uh, you know, Joe Castiglione for the past year and a half, right? You talk to even, um, I don't know, you, you get, you hear from, uh, you hear from Joe Harris. Maybe you talk to Brett Yormark, the new commissioner, or you talk to old Bob Bowlesby, which I did last summer. 2025, 2025, 2025, 2025. Right. Never said in my head, never once did it sit in my head that it was going to happen in 2025. Fast forward to last week. 
week before, I should say, um, if we're going this on a week to week basis, where all the reports came out and said, well, that looks like it. It's definitely happened in 2025. The TV networks aren't satisfied. Fox is getting screwed out of too many, too much inventory, too many games. This thing's going to happen in 2025. I looked at that and I said, no, prove it to me. Let me see the documents. Let me see the signatures on the bottom of the papers. I don't believe it. I still think it's happening in 2024. Not a week later, guys. Not a week later, officially. We're leaving in 2024. I told y'all a hundred times. It's <laughs> annoying to be right all that time. I My first thought was just uh, the process of how it happened last, what was that, Thursday? Um, where in the morning, I shoot boss a text that's like, hey, we probably need to be on the lookout for this. I'm hearing that this could be announced like today. And I was even a little like, could what you was my reply? I, what was I, my I was like, response? Yeah. And in my head, I was like, can you check on this? Because I'm not totally sure. Boss's response was, quote, no way. No way. <laughs> no way. And I was like, I don't know. Then later in the day, uh, Josh is hearing the same stuff. And then, of course, it happens like after I'm done on my radio show and I'm like, I'm on I-35 South and I get the tweet notification i think ross dellinger beat the big 12 by like 90 seconds and i looked yeah. at my watch and i was like you've got to be kidding me and i was like thank goodness josh was there but no it, this was the logical conclusion for everyone but fox pretty much the big 12 is ready to close that chapter right they didn't want to have to do the headache of two years of the 14 team conference because like when you look at the scheduling nightmare that was the schedule's done okay now it's being pushed back now it's being pushed back again Okay, well, imagine having the fight, the infighting again next year because it's another year that the Big 12 can't get on whatever their future rotation is going to be because they're having to shoehorn OU and Texas into the schedule one more time. That was going to be a headache. On the SEC's perspective, USC and UCLA coming in in 2024, the college football playoff expansion happening in 2024, it just makes perfect sense for college football to turn this massive page all the same year um, just uh, on the landscape of it. OU and Texas, obviously. And so really it was just figuring out with Fox what was going on. And I think part of the frustration is that I'd been told initially that Fox had contingently agreed a couple of weeks back and then came back and said, ah, actually, never mind. And then everyone had to throw their hands up and be like, fine, this happened. And then so they got back to the drawing board, Oklahoma, Texas and, and Fox and the Big 12 all got together with what can you budge on? What won't you budge on? And we've started to see. Texas and Michigan are flipping a home and home yeah. so that Fox can be happy. There was a, another report. Forgive me. So much of the stuff came out. I think Thamel reported that, that Michigan thing. Somewhere else I read that it's on the table that Texas and Oklahoma add a premier non-conference series with another Big Ten school maybe uh, down the line. So it'll be interesting to see all that. But now we have our answers. July 1st, 2024 into the sec so now the question is going to be sec scheduling model that's going to get sorted out here over the next month as as the sec is meeting and looking forward to what this new landscape is going to be and if oklahoma's ready now now we have the date will they be ready to make that transition yeah like you said it works for everybody big 12 got paid in this in this deal 100 million dollars is what is going to come from oklahoma and texas it was not clear at all in the release exactly where that money is coming from and how it's yeah. going to go. It, it, it said part of it would be from future revenues. So that would imply to me, my understanding would be that Oklahoma and Texas can continue to pay this off as they go, or they're going to just save money, I guess. The Big 12 is not going to pay them as much. So how you guys my, take it? My understanding is, first off of the 100 mil, about 20 million is going to Fox. I think Dellinger reported that. 
So the remaining eight are going to get 80 mm. mil. It's going to be paid over two years. And it's not like Oklahoma and Texas are cutting a check. It's like a withholding from your right. payout from the big 12. Sure. Yeah. It's not, a, it's been characterized as a penalty and a fee and all this. Stuff. It's not, it's not a penalty. It's not a fee. It's they're going to withhold that revenue from Oklahoma and Texas over the next two years. So Beto gets some extra coinage like Ryan referenced. They get a Texas Michigan game. In 2024, uh, that game was supposed to be in Austin. Now it's in Ann Arbor, which means it'll be a Big Ten you know, broadcast rights, which means Fox will take it. So they get an extra game out of this that they w- otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Um, so, you know, it, it worked out for everybody. Oklahoma and Texas want to go early for obvious reasons. Big 12 gets paid. And like Ryan said, they, they, Big 12 needs to close that chapter and start to prove that they can be their own conference without these guys. And so that's what they'll start to do in 2024. Who have you wrote the column uh, the day that this was announced? Is Oklahoma ready? And so I wanted to ask you guys that. Lay it out. Because that's a lot of – I was kind of a little surprised the the fan reaction to this because it felt like to me that most of the fan reaction was kind of a a little bit of a nervous that this was maybe not the right move. Maybe they, they should have just taken their time and, and given Brent Venables more time to recruit, more time to get this thing going. Because now you're going after one more football season. They are going to be playing in the SEC. Is Oklahoma going to be ready uh, when that time comes? Or is this a mistake, in your guys' opinion, uh, as far as from a competitive standpoint, uh, whenever that time comes? Yeah, how's this for a lousy parallel for you? Um, this was be, this would be like going through your, your junior high time, right? And you're thinking, I can't wait to get to high school. I can't wait to get to high school. All of a sudden you're done with junior high and you wake up and it's summertime and all that's ahead of you is your final summer. And then you start high school and you're like, oh crap. Oh crap. I've been looking forward to this for so long. Am I ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. That to me kind of characterizes what Oklahoma and Texas are getting ready to step into. They think they're ready. They can't wait to get there. It's going to be fun, man. Oh, it's going to, but there's going to be seniors there. There's going to be big muscled up juniors that like hang them over the stairs and shake money out of their pockets and steal their, you know what I mean? It's got, they're going to get bullied around at first. A couple of years, they're going to be up there with the big boys. Are they ready right now? No, they're not ready right now. Oklahoma was 6-7 and seven last year. Uh, Texas was 9-4. and four. Is that what they did after their bowl game? Yeah. Um, they're not ready right now, football-wise. Other programs, obviously, um, would slide right in, would be able to slide right into the SEC and compete. But football-wise, Oklahoma and Texas, ask Brent Venables this tomorrow at the press conference. And he'll tell you the same thing. He would say, no, we've got a lot of recruiting still to do. We've got a lot of growing still to do. We've got a lot of building facilities still to do. Now, here's the deal. All those things are underway, but they're Mm -hmm. not at a point right now where they can just step in and say, we're SEC ready. Yeah, put on your crimson colored glasses for a second and just assume, hey, Oklahoma's coaching staff, we haven't seen it. That's going to be the big question in year two is you had year zero, year one, where you were trying to pit square pegs and around holes. It didn't work out so well, but you ripped that bandaid off. This is where you have to see the development in year two. It's why we talked about with the schedule release, there are high expectations, despite the fact that Oklahoma was bad last year. Why? Because you took three losses off the schedule and subbed that for a group of five rosters. Even under the best case scenario, Oklahoma is going to enter the SEC with a redshirt freshman quarterback who probably hasn't started many games. That's that's if you get your best-case scenario, crimson-colored glasses, Oklahoma skyrockets, bounces back, they put in 10 wins, they play in a Big 12 champion. That, like, that's best-case scenario, and that's still your reality headed to the SEC is that you're going to be 
probably replacing your number one receiver, Jalil Farouk, if that's what happens. You're going to be replacing Dylan Gabriel with Jackson Arnold, who's got all the talent but won't have started games if that huge development arc happens. The And then what you need is, okay, you need to see a ton of those freshmen play this year defensively because you need to see that talent start to come through so that athletically Oklahoma can hang. That's a long. That's a lot to ask of this program in twelve months, uh, coming off of a, a six and seven season. It is, and we've seen big jumps before. Shoot, every coaching hire in the mid two thousands was the Bob Stoops thing, right? He came in year one, ripped off the band aid. Year two, won a national championship. The sleeping giant thing that became whatever. You head to the SEC, like what's going to compete in the SEC is stacking top five classes, not just getting one top five class over a five-year period, getting three top five classes, and the other two are hanging out at like seven and ten in the rank. Like that's how you stack that roster to truly compete. Right now, if Oklahoma continues on this path, they're going to be on the best case scenario Florida arc, the LSU arc, maybe the Auburn arc of you get one special class, develop that for four or five years, then you can compete. What the SEC offers you is that those years your expectations national championship as opposed to just good year playoff run, stuff like that. But that's best case scenario for OU right now. That can change if this development arc happens. But that's what Oklahoma's entering the SEC on. And there's still the huge question mark of does this coaching staff have it? Because we've just seen one year and it was six and seven. Quick question for you, Ryan. If you're playing a bunch of freshmen in 2023 to get those guys ready for the future, are you going to win 10 games in 2023? Yeah, that's it. It depends on what spots that's at, right? If if we're right. talking about, hey, Peyton Bowen comes in and plays at safety alongside Billy Bowman, PJ Edaware comes in and, and is you know on the edge. If a corner comes in, maybe. If we're talking about, hey, Caden Green had to come in or like a Jack Snarl had to come in because someone got hurt or things like that, then you start scratching your head, going, wait a minute, that that that's not exactly what you wanted because if you're talking about a ton of freshmen, what you want what you'd want to see best case scenario is maybe Jaquez Petaway comes in as a burner at wide receiver. You've got PG Adebore getting similar snaps to like an R. Mason Thomas last year. You have maybe one of those freshmen competing with Key Lawrence for time at the safety opposite of Billy Bowman, and then you've got a corner across from Woody Watt. Like that's best case. That's what you want to see. Supplemental but it, snaps. Yeah. If, if yeah. we get to post Texas and the Band-Aid rips off and you start seeing eight true freshmen getting tied, that's probably not a good thing. It's probably in the same spot we were a year ago where we're saying the season's over for what Oklahoma standards are. Why not play the freshmen and see what you got? That is not the you're ready for the SEC in 2024 uh, pathway to getting freshman time. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, we need to also talk about the scheduling model. You mentioned it, Ryan, and we don't know what it's going to be, but doesn't it make sense that there's only going to be one real solution to this, integrating four, two more teams to bring your total to 16? There's uh, there's an opportunity there to the, – the hard part is going to be, for me, the hard part is going to be getting all 16 teams to agree that these are their three permanent rivals. Yeah, Everybody's on board with playing nine games, I think. Everybody's on board with – rotating the other 12 teams through every, what is it, twice every four years. You get to play somebody twice every four years. You don't have to go through this um, Georgia thing where they have 11 years into playing, being conference brethren with Texas A&M, they still have not been to College Station. 11 years. Makes no sense. That that's got to change. So everybody's on board with the, the, you know, the three permanent rivals and the nine conference games and rotating the other 12 teams in twice every four years. That's a great idea. 
there is no way you're going to be able to get everybody to agree. Yes, those are definitely our three permanent conference rivals, and we play them every year happily. No one is going to agree to all that. Everybody wants to play this team. Everybody wants to play that team. Everybody wants to avoid playing a certain team, if you know what I mean. That's going to be the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say the uh, College Football Inquirer podcast, which uh, I know we at least have two big fans of that here. I don't, I don't know if Josh, if you hammer the College Football Inquirer or not. I know who turned me on to it. But Ross Dellinger basically said if you looked into the COVID season of the SEC schedule when they had to schedule a larger conference slate, there's a nice historical line that goes through about half of the conference. You have a clear top half and a clear bottom half of the SEC just historically-wise in football. And he said that basically, if you looked at it, no one's going to admit to it, but the schedule was made where it was pretty equitable. Like you didn't just load up Missouri with the entire top half, like they tried to mix and match. And so what Ross Dellinger had hypothesized is that you're going to have the the teams that are in the top half, like Oklahoma, they're going to take two other teams in that top half and then one of the bottom half. If you're in the bottom half, you're going to take two of those bottom half, one of the upper. So for Oklahoma, it makes a ton of sense. Texas and Missouri... Welcome to the show. For AM, they're not going to want to play Oklahoma, Texas, and LSU. They've got this thing going with LSU the last decade in the SEC. It's not like a huge rivalry, but it's something. So if you're Arkansas, do you want to draw OU and Texas every single year? Would you rather have Missouri and Texas and somebody else? That's why I think that Ross Dellinger has floated Florida out there. Is It could be OU playing Texas, Missouri, and then you just have to randomly grab Florida. Yeah, uh, someone from the top half. And I saw Andy Staples had the same model, same three. Yeah, Andy Staples had the same model, yeah. and I had been told um, that hey, Florida might might that might be a thing. That's not just guessing. That might be how that thing gets drawn up. So that'll be pretty interesting. As Norman to Gainesville is the largest separation in two cities in the SEC per mileage. It just beats out Austin to uh, South Carolina. But there at least is a little bit of shared history between the 2008 National Championship game, the Cotton Bowl. You know, it, it, at least there's something there that maybe you can work off of. They've played each other in other sports a lot as well. Basketball's played them a couple years in a row. Softball rivalries. Baseball just played them in the tournament last year. Like They seem to kind of find each other a lot of the time. Um, OU is recruiting. Yeah. If, you look, if you look at their 23 class, they've got five guys out of the state of Florida. They're recruiting the hell out of Florida yeah. right now. So. Uh, Florida might want a piece of that action, you know, tell those guys, Hey, don't, don't go to them. <laughs> They're all the way in sure. Oklahoma. You can stay here playing Florida. The, the recruiting battles would be awesome. If uh, you played Florida on a annual basis. My understanding, what I, what I've heard, you know, you know, tea leaves and whatever, Texas obviously is going to be in Oklahoma's pod. If that's what they do. I think Missouri is pretty close to a lock to be in, in Oklahoma's pod. It's the question of that third spot between Arkansas and Florida. I think is that's, that's where the the deliberations are being made. And I, I don't know. I, I've kind of heard a little of both. But I think Texas and Missouri are both pretty set. AM's not going to be in their pod for the reason Ryan said. AM would have a cow because Texas is going to be in their pod and LSU is going to be in their pod. So they can't also have OU. They need Vanderbilt or something. They need to lighten that thing up a little bit uh, for them to be okay with it. So that's how I think that's going to go. And we'll see. Um, get, get used to some trips to Columbia. Who's been there a time or two? So, um, Everybody's loves on Columbia. Are you with that on Columbia? Who everybody? You're not. Nope. Yesterday nope. At, at basketball, everybody was big Columbia love going on. It's a big J school. All the all the big J's are uh, all the big J's are like, oh, I can't wait to go back to that Columbia. I love, 
I've uh, that was the first place I was offered out of high school was uh, University of Missouri. They were impressed with my journalism schools and I, uh, my journalism skills. And I said, "No, I'm staying home. Going to work at the local paper." But uh, no, I've been to Columbia a couple times. There's no. Hey, I lived in Missouri for six months right out of college. I'd been went to Columbia a couple more times. No, I'm out. Hey, you give me Missouri and like Greek and Gothic columns for no reason, and I'm in. I'm in. It's so random. <laughs> it's so, hey, look, we got some columns. Awesome. <laughs> got a rock M and some columns. Is Missouri <laughs> is Missouri uh, Oklahoma's rival? This has been floating no. around the last couple of days because this is no. they've played a lot. There's a lot of games um, in the in the history, but this has been talked about as kind of like almost like they've become more of a rival in the time that OU actually hasn't been playing them. It's like they're remembered as a rival, even though they weren't at the time. That's been talked they about. Were in the, they were in the same conference. They're no more yeah, rivals right. than Iowa State or Kansas State. Wow. It's like they – do you want to go off of like at one point the Peace Pipe trophy was – th- you know what I mean? Like it, it was like the Big Ten where everyone had a trophy and that kind of <laughs> sunset. That's missing. That's yeah. what the Big 12 has been missing all these years is the more, little interchangeable trophies that go back trophies. and forth. The Bedlam I, Bell. We're – Regardless of what the status of it once was, like it's been fun in basketball. The reality is the Big 12, when it formed, not having the foresight to have cross-division protected rivalries, like if OU Nebraska didn't survive, like the OU Nebraska ended, the old version of OU Nebraska ended when the Big 12 was not forward-thinking enough to say, we need OU Nebraska to play every year, even if they're across and that's what the right. sec has done the sec has always protected those and that's how that's been able mm. to sustain and all that history so if OU nebraska didn't make it there's no way that any argument or any shout for OU missouri should be acknowledged because it again OU had one huge rivalry with the big 12 north and the big 12 didn't keep it sure and i think it it could become one but not if oklahoma just dominates it every year and so that that'd be the the question there now on the topic of rivalries you've got to note obvious ramification here is that november 4th 2023 stillwater oklahoma the last bedlam for the foreseeable future we don't know when that uh, series will continue it probably will at some point but it's going to be a while i think we all kind of think that what a scene that's going to be uh in stillwater it was mayhem two years ago when we thought that could have been the last time going to stillwater um, now this time it will, like we know it will, at least for a long time, man, it's going to be, it's going to be nuts. Uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, final, final trip to Boone. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens when we get there. I'm probably going to wear my, uh, roller skating helmet, <laughs> skateboarding, how my son's skateboarding helmet. Uh, I don't know. It's just that I've seen those goalposts come down and like crush people. It's going to be ugly. Scary. And I'm not saying they're going to win or they're going to lose. I'm just saying the the Bedlam will be at the all-time. Whatever the highest level of Bedlam has been over the years in any sport, whether it's wrestling or baseball, guys throwing bats at each other and you getting the brooms out on top of the dugouts, whatever you think of Bedlam to this point, forget it. That next year's football game is going to be, it will be. the all-timer. And I mean, all t- it's – Holy crap, I can't think of what that place is going to be like. They could both be 0-9, and they would be like that. I I was going to say that it's not just the last bedlam. It's the fact that Trace Ford's coming back, so there's extra juice there. 
um, Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy have basically, well, maybe Mike Gundy more than Oklahoma State, have basically stood defiant in the face of what modern college football is and said, I refuse to play the portal game as far as keeping the guys on my roster. So he's bringing in a ton of different guys. Oklahoma State's schedule broke really well for them to try and bounce back and still put up a nice win total, despite the fact that just on paper, they lost a lot of talent and made up for it with guys that are coming from smaller schools. Stuff. Like- so you're going to have that narrative. For the Cowboys fans, it's like, okay, there was a chance that the last Bedlam memory in Stillwater was Spencer Sanders topples Caleb Williams. The Cowboys are one win away from a college football playoff. Euphoria on the field. Now it's the your last taste of Bedlam and Norman was the only reason you were in that game because Jeff Levy refused to run more than 90 seconds off the clock, any possession in the second half. Like it all that it's gonna be an absolute just circus and Mm. here's my challenge to oklahoma state i was on the field in lubbock and i saw a service dog rush the field if you win that game i need to see something more iconic something that will stick with me longer than a service dog on the field like a raccoon or a brown bear or something like that oh god (laughs) i need to see maybe bullet and bb like just chilling in the middle of it just like hey bullet is just at midfield as all the people are swarm you know like something it was uh, when we were there two years ago. It was one of the more memorable games we've had um, for a lot of reasons. But it it was it was mayhem in there that night, and uh, it'll be like that again. Uh, like who said, even ramped up a little bit, probably. What about Brett Yormark on bullet with his guns up like this, <laughs> just riding around? He's shooting off Pistol Pete's shotgun and stuff, and he's just riding around after the game. Here for it. I'm here for that as well. Sure. What is what? That would require Oklahoma State to win the game. Quick point of order. Did you guys see that Pistol Pete scared the living just fire out of the Kansas huddle last night in Gallagher Iva? Because I guess his little like shotgun pop was louder than usual indoors and like the Kansas huddle at the time I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him. It is kind of loud. It can sneak up on yeah. you a little bit. It's like the guns, it's think of the guns that the roughnecks shoot, but it's inside. It 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 can it can frighten you a little bit. What a straight, what a change up in the trips, by the way, that we Stillwater and then Provo are the back to back road. That's very different people <laughs> in a lot of ways. That'll be how we wrap up the season. So let's finish this this conversation. Uh, who kind of referenced it earlier, but just to kind of on the way out here. The other sports. Is there anything that jumps out when looking at basketball, men or women, the diamond sports, anything gymnastics, if you want to get into that, anything else? Any any other sport that you think that this is biggest a positive for or biggest negative for? Who do you think is is impacted the most uh, by this? Because uh, obviously it's not you know football is the the headline, but it's it's for all sports and for basketball. It's you finish up this season, you get one more. Same for the diamond sports, you do this season, then one more. How's that going to shake out for all the other you know sports for Oklahoma? Biggest winner is Porter Moser in the men's basketball team getting out of the Big 12. Although I love the way he hedged it in his post game or in his, in his press conference after the announcement. Mm. Hey, these things run in cycles. The Big 10 used to be there. It's uh, true. The ACC used to yeah. be there. Uh the the Big 12 is there now. He's not he didn't say it, but he would like to have said maybe in 2 years, 5 years, 10 years the SEC will be there. Maybe. But uh, right now, as it stands right now, getting out of the Big 12 and getting into any other league is good for Oklahoma basketball. Biggest loser is, I'm willing to say it, Josh. They held it, our feet to the fire after making the championship game last year. I don't care. I'm willing to say it. The SEC is the hardest baseball league by far mm. 
out there. Uh, eight of the last 13 national championships have been won by SEC teams, and they've put teams in the finals with those championship teams. Um, biggest loser is going to be baseball. Baseball's got the – maybe I should say baseball's got the furthest to go. Does that make sense? Sure. Or they've got the furthest – from a facility standpoint, from NIL standpoint, from all everything, the whole big picture, baseball is going to have the hardest time. I said it last year, and they went to the national championship game. I'll say it again this year. Yeah, baseball's on the right track, but it now, so. it now speeds it up. Yeah, you have one less year to get these facility <laughs> renovations and to continue to build your roster, all that stuff. It kind of like football. It it puts you know it it, it sped you up a little bit. Yeah, I think softball's going to be really excited. We know Patty Gasso wants to load up on that more difficult schedule. She kind of referenced it two Mondays ago when she was like talking about how hard it is to construct this non-conference schedule. And she kind of threw the throwaway line of that'll be easier in a couple of years when like the conference schedules provide. There's there's no Iowa State's or Texas Tech softballs in the SEC. For me, though, baseball, it, it's just a gauntlet, right? Because college baseball runs through the SEC. But when you look at what Ginny Baranchek is trying to build right now, Baylor is not what Baylor was under Kim Mulkey. Texas is talented, and they've got great rankings, and OU and Texas are probably going to battle down to the wire for the Big 12 championship. But Texas is not like a juggernaut by any means. Just look at what happened this last Sunday in the SEC, women's basketball, undefeated South Carolina versus Kim Mulkey's undefeated LSU. And oh, by the way, South Carolina were clearly a cut above Kim Mulkey's LSU. You're entering a conference that essentially has two teams that are the caliber of in the 2010s when OU was trying to climb the mountain over Notre Dame, Stanford, UConn, those caliber of teams. You're going to have two of those already ahead of you in the SEC on top of what Ginny Bronchek's trying to do recruiting-wise. Obviously, she's you know got a five-star transfer, stuff like that, but... I think that's going to be really tough for Oklahoma because they had just got to a spot where they could have been the class of the Big 12. You have to be national championship good to compete at the top of the SEC, and they're just not there yet. Yeah, and she's going to have to reload the entire roster in 2024. Yeah. I mean, it, everybody's gone, so um, that's going to be tough for her. Uh, I looked it up, Ryan, when this happened, when I wrote that column, is Oklahoma ready? Uh, there's two teams ranked, well, three this week, but last week there was two teams ranked in the Big 12 and three teams ranked in the SEC. What's the difference, Hoove? Why, why, you know, the, between two and three, one was ranked 16 and the other was ranked 18, I think, in the Big 12. In the SEC, it was one, three, one, three, and five. So your, your three ranked teams are in the top five in the SEC. It's just going to be harder. Everything about it is going to be harder. I mean, South Carolina is the is UConn. I mean, they're they are right. they have supplanted UConn, and you know, Don Staley is Gino Ariema. They have taken that throne. So you're going into the conference that has That's fair. the juggernaut of the sport right now. Um, so that just that alone, um, it'd be cool if they come to Norman, which you figure at some point they will. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be weird. It's going to be fun. It's going to be weird. One more full season around the horn for all the sports. One last kumbaya and all that, and that'll be it. Final time. It'll be weird going through next year knowing everything's for the final time. Final Big 12, you know, championship game in football, potentially, possibly final Big 12 tournaments. It'll just be weird. Um, but, yeah, we finally know for sure. July 1st, 2024, and like Porter Moser said this week, at the very least, it offers OU some clarity. That's the word that he used a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Just that they know. These coaches can recruit to it, and they know for sure, okay, 2024, 
we're going to be there. We know that for sure. It's locked down. No more. It's been, I mean, it's been wishy-washy and floating for two years. So to actually know it officially, is it's nice for, for everybody, for fans, teams, us, everybody. It's nice to know for sure. All right, we'll take like a timeout. Come back, got some other housekeeping items for football to get through. And, of course, we'll get to some other sports later on. Basketball recap, softball recap, and baseball opens this weekend. So we have lots to get to. We'll get to it coming up here soon on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan's underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover i'm at josh m calloway our website is allsooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated network all right segment two got some housekeeping items to get through here on the football side before we turn over to other sports in the last segment kind of briefly mentioned it earlier Tomorrow, watch out on allcenters.com. Brent Venables press conference is scheduled to go about 40 minutes. It'll go over because he always does. And then we're going to talk to all the mid-year enrollees. Literally all. That's 11 transfers and uh, 14 freshmen, I think. 25 total guys. Crazy. We're going to talk to them all. It's going to be insane. Credits OU for unprecedented access. I mean, that that is the anti-Lincoln Riley in Every possible way. We couldn't even talk to Caleb Williams after he was playing games and was in the Heisman race. And now we're talking to all these guys before they've even stepped foot on a field for OU. Couldn't be more opposite. So that's coming up tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, you guys want to preview that a little bit? Just it's insane. It really is insane. I'm sure fans who aren't, you know, obviously cover the team like we are probably can't fully appreciate how insane that is that we're getting all these guys before they've even practiced at OU. I'll give you the names. We start, uh, we talked to Venables at 145, and after that it's just a, um, groups of players, players in groups. The first group is 17 players. The first group, <laughs> which goes 40 minutes, is 17 players. Y'all sitting down? PJ Adebore, Jackson Arnold, Josh Bates, Peyton Bowen, Trace Ford, Caden Green, Caleb Hicks, Derek LeBlanc, Eric McCarty, Desan McCulloch, Phil Picotti, sorry, Pachati, uh, Walter Rouse, Ashton Sanders, Blake Smith, Dalen Smothers, Makari Vickers, and Josiah Wagner. That's just the first group. Like, what? <laughs> like, this is, I've yeah. been doing this since 2004 uh, at OU, and, and before that I was at Oklahoma State, and before that I covered Arkansas. I've never seen a coach say, here are all our new guys who ha- who won't play a game for six months. Come talk yeah. to them. That's never happened at any school I've ever covered. Uh, the the group two 
which goes at 345 is Andrew Anthony, Rondell Bothroyd, Jacob Lacey, Dave, Devon Sears, Caleb Schaefer, and Austin Stogner. Surely nobody talks to Stogner, right? And then the group Welcome three back. closes it up with Kendall Dolby and Reggie Pearson. A couple of DBs. Like, I, I'm sorry. I This is kind of a culture shock for me. I don't know what to do. I was telling my wife last night. None of us have ever done this before. We don't know how to proceed. Yeah, and it uh, looks like they were broken up by like workout groups, which is why the spread was kind of weird. Uh, but... I liked the planning ahead of saying we're actually going to give 20 minutes in between when the Brent Venables press conference is scheduled to end versus when the players are going to start coming in. That's intelligent. (laughs) Just uh, go ahead and block in some of that time. But no, it's going to be really fascinating because we're going to get to talk to all the freshmen. So it's, we're touching base with them for the first time since, you know, Hoove and and Josh talked to a lot of those guys in Orlando. So kind of get their first impressions of winter workouts, things like that. And then of course, all all the transfers, it's going to be, Really, really enlightening and a ton of fun. There's a lot of different stories from, obviously, the McCullough's, uh, Desa McCullough coming in and going, okay, you and your brother working under Brent Venables. What's that going to be like? Uh, Walter Rouse, the offensive tackle, is like, okay, you were committed to Nebraska and then you weren't. What's, what's that go like? Trace Ford, obviously, a, a Bedlam defection in the transfer portal. That'll be intriguing. But I just, I just think back to last spring where – there were a lot of new hires defensively as far as the coaching staff goes. And what we were told is that Brent Mendel's basically like, well, if you're going to talk to all those guys, you just talk to every assistant. And we got every assistant before spring ball started, um, just kind of in a, in a marathon press conference that day. And then as spring you know, unraveled, we talked to all the assistants again as they finally got to kind of work with the, the players and practice, stuff like that. So uh, very appreciative that second spring we have another kind of – glass door peel back the curtain of yeah you can talk to all the new faces that that you want to link up with and so uh it's really helpful and really insightful that we kind of get to get their stories before spring starts and then when we turn that page we're no longer catching up with them it can just be like okay when we talk to you in spring football what are you thinking what's the improvement what's all that look like uh from our perspective i think it'll be really enlightening for the fan base to be able to get their stories up front and then we can turn the page to football stuff in the spring Brett Venable's an open book. Uh, you can't, you know, there's, there's things that, you know, in his first year that you can critique certainly the, on the field, but that, that part of it, you can't, <laughs> he's extremely welcoming in that, in that regard. So having all the new guys is nuts and we'll have so much for you in all soon. It's going to be a day uh, tomorrow uh, on all sooners.com. So keep up with us. You're going to want to uh, be plugged in to the socials and of course the, uh, the website, cause we're going to have, uh, you get to hear from all these guys. I mean, for fans too. I mean, it's a big part of it for fans. I mean, you know, they don't know these guys, a lot of them. So they get to learn about them a little bit, hear from them and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, we'll see how that goes tomorrow. Should be, it's going to be a little bit chaotic, but I look forward to it. Well, elsewhere, some walk-ons, quick, what's up? it's not just the fans there. I think this is smart. This was pointed out a ton during the Caleb Williams experience where Lincoln Riley's refusing to let him speak to the media as he's taking college football by storm in today's era. Yeah, great for the fans, but also for the kids, for the players, it's great exposure for NIL opportunities, things like that. If you're able to get to know them a little bit better through these kind of sessions where we can sit down and talk to a guy for 10 or 15 minutes, I mean, it's just smart all the way around just from transparency for the fans, for the players. It's beneficial to everyone, and I, 
it's unprecedented for us. I just don't know why other schools don't see that value and, and do that more. Let's talk about the portal real quick too. Some of these guys, some of these transfers are only going to be here one year. This is their shot, you know, so you might as well get them out there as early as possible. February if you have to, right? And some of these, let's be honest, some of these freshmen are only going to be here one year because of the portal. So get them out there as early as possible. I love this idea, Brent. Yeah, so it's it's unprecedented. It really is. So we'll see how it looks uh, and, and how that goes tomorrow, but we'll have it all for you on allcenters.com. Should be fun to get to hear from all these guys, transfers and uh, freshmen alike. Um, shifting over, mentioned it uh, briefly just a second ago. Five walk-ons were moved from walk-ons to scholarship this week, which is always a cool thing. Um, I'll rattle them off real quick. Kicker Zach Schmidt, who fans are very familiar with, scored a touchdown this year. DB Pierce Hudgens. Gavin Freeman, of course, wide receiver, uh, who made a big impact right away. His preferred walk-on. He's now on scholarship. The punter, Josh Plaster, who I assume is going to be the backup punter, but maybe not. I don't know. And then wide receiver Major Melson, who I feel like has been around forever. Uh, he's on scholarship now as well. This was cool. This was a cool video. They announced it and uh, put all these guys on scholarship. We'll see what kind of an impact uh, these guys can have. I mean, Zach Schmidt's your, your starting kicker. And Gavin Freeman, we saw what he did last year um, You know, in limited time as he continues to kind of work up. He scored that big touchdown in the opener, obviously, that everybody remembers. Going to be going to be interesting to see what these guys can do. Obviously, you don't imagine that Venables just giving these away. Um, if he puts them on scholarship, he thinks these guys have outplayed their walk on roles, or that they're gonna they're going to outplay their walk on roles. I guess so. Any takeaways, I guess, from 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 these guys getting moved up? Yeah, he's repaying their value to the program. Simple as that. Um, some of them uh, younger guys, some of them a little bit older guys that have been around for three or four years. Um, on plaster. It sounds like there could be a competition between him and Luke Alzinga, the punter transfer from Central mm-hmm. Michigan, two-time first-team All-Mac, right? You assume he's going to come in and win the job. But uh, just this week, our man Hangtime, Michael Turk, posted a video saying he beat me in, in the punting competition. He was talking about plaster. So that'll be interesting. Um, Shout-out Major Melson, too, right? Uh, he's a guy <laughs> that I played football in high school with his dad. So – uh, he, he, he went on, Chris went on to play quarterback at, at OU for Gary Gibbs, uh, was an option quarterback from Ada. So, uh, yeah, I got to give my props there, um, to the Melsons. Cool. To, cool to see the teammates reaction as well. Um, th- that's always the, the really awesome part of those videos is it's not just the players who are having things change for them and, and a huge reward to hard work, but just seeing the celebration as, as they get mobbed in the red room, Pretty cool. Uh, but but for me, I, I just hope it means an uptick in seeing Gavin Freeman on the field because Gavin Freeman, he, he kind of got caught down the pecking order as a young guy, walk on, Jeff Levy. Everybody always spoke so glowingly of him, but it made a ton of sense as to why, hey, they basically ran with, um, to start the year, it was Farouk, Mims, Weiss, and Willis. To close the year, you sub Stoops for Weiss, and, and that was kind of who they ran with. We saw flashes of special from Gavin Freeman from the reverse to the lane out diving catch was that against Kansas. Kansas. Um, So I I hope that means that we get to see a lot more of him as there's a lot of just unproven production coming back behind Stoops and Farouk at the wide receiver room. 100%. So congratulations to all those guys. That's a cool moment. And uh, we'll see what they can do here coming up in the spring and then obviously into next season. Wrapping up, moving up to the NFL. Did have the Super Bowl over the weekend. 
Congrats to uh, the latest Super Bowl champs, Creed Humphrey and Orlando Brown. Get to add some rings to their resumes. James Winchester and Blake Bell, it's old news for them. That's their second now uh, with the Chiefs. But Creed and, and Orlando get their first ones. Jalen, so close. Jalen Hurts played very well in the Super Bowl. He really did. Brutal fumble that uh, hurt him. But other than that, he was really, really good. But he got Mahomes, and uh, he lost to the, the Chiefs. Takeaways from the Super Bowl, obviously congrats to the guys who won. There's a lot of OU players all over the field, um, but Orlando and uh, and Cree get the last laugh there, getting the, getting the Super Bowl. Yeah, Blake Bell was inactive for the Super Bowl. Trey Sermon was inactive for the Super Bowl, so they didn't get to dress out for the game, but that, mm-hmm. that would have been cool to get those guys in, a, in any role on the field. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled for Creed. You know, when you think about, you know, Shawnee, Oklahoma, are you serious? Did you guys see the post from Shawnee High School where they put his senior photo out there? And uh, just brilliant. Uh, you're happy for somebody that goes through so many things like that. And to be able to extend that success as a Super Bowl champion, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Um, same for Orlando Brown, all the things that he's gone through uh, with his dad passing away at the age of 15. No. He was 15 when his dad passed away. Let me make sure I get that right. And then he tra- uh, you know, transfers, changed schools, moves from Baltimore to Atlanta, and then mo- goes from Atlanta, he has a commitment to, to Tennessee. And at Tennessee, they told him, wait a minute, you haven't passed any of your tests, your ACT and all that stuff? You haven't? Well, no, not yet. So they, they pulled his scholarship. He didn't know where he wanted to go. He ended up kind of picking Oklahoma almost out of a hat. He had never contacted them and yet there he is calls bob stoops and bob stoops says yeah we we could take a we could take a 6 8 350 pound offensive lineman the rest is history and as far as winchester he might be my him and tressway might be my favorite guys that i've covered to go on to the nfl and have success in the nfl i, I love watching both those dudes have success yeah great points there and then on the flip side it, it I hope this doesn't get lost to history, but like, why was that an all-time great Super Bowl? Because Jalen Hurts was dropping dimes in ways that we never saw at Oklahoma, right? Rolling out to his left, keeping his eyes downfield, delivering a strike on a big third down, everything. You had Elaine Johnson, who basically played the entire playoffs in the last couple of regular season games with a abdominal injury that needed surgery immediately being able to just say, nope, I'm, I'm just going to play through this thing. And, and you didn't notice that Lane Johnson was like a, a negative on the right side of the offensive line at all, playing with that injury, all that stuff. So regardless of who ended up with the rings and not, uh, a, a really, really nice day for Oklahoma as far as what the product was on the field. And, and all the way down from one half of the quarterback battle, both offensive lines who stood up and played well. There was only one sack, and it was more of a coverage sack. And then the go-ahead game-winning field goal. Got to have Winchester out there with a clutch snap to make that thing happen. Oklahoma's yep. fingerprints were all over that Super Bowl. Shout out Grant Calcaterra, too. Eagles tied in Grant Calcaterra. I don't, I don't even know if he played or how much he played or was it just special teams, but he gets one, too. Yeah, I, I would assume that Tyrese or uh, well, he was with the Eagles, so obviously didn't doesn't get a Super Bowl ring. But you have Tyrese Robinson and and Kenny Brooks are both on the Eagles roster as well. Um, so there's a lot of guys that were in this game. That that that's for sure. And uh, yeah, Jalen played incredibly well. He's going to get himself paid uh, probably pretty handsomely quite soon. Uh, he's he's eligible for a, an extension. And I imagine that's going to be coming down the pike uh, in the in the near future for him. Yeah, four touchdowns in the Super Bowl, 300 yards passing. First quarterback uh, to ever have three rushing touchdowns in the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, incredible. Good, good stuff. Pretty um, big time. And then yeah, I, like I gotta say, when yeah. he came when he was at Alabama and when he came from Alabama and when he was at Oklahoma, you could see the improvement. You could see market improvement over the course of his career. You could not have seen him being in the Super Bowl dropping dimes like he was against the Chiefs defense. That just just his progress has been sudden and remarkable. Do you guys remember a couple of years back, um, Colin Kaepernick? He's famous for other things now, but Colin Kaepernick was at this stage, second year of his career, third year of his career, and we're all looking at him going, holy cow, this guy's redefining what quarterbacks look like. And then he hit a wall and kind of dropped off. Uh, there wasn't enough, a ton of talent around him after that, but um, I just hope that uh, Jalen's able to sustain this uh, long-term over the course of his career. Yeah, he's about to hit that next stage where he's going to get that handsome payday, which means there's going to be more asked of you because if you do that, it means that, you know, guy two through 53 on the NFL roster, less money to kind of sink into that. And so it'll be interesting to see if that development arc continues because it's not just a he was this in 2019 at Oklahoma and now look what he is at the Eagles. I mean, if you read Bill Barnwell, um, Jalen Hurts, the little time he did play as a rookie, he was in top 10 most inaccurate rookies. Yep. And so just from that rookie season with the Eagles to Sirianni and Steichen and that staff and what they've done with him to where he was in that Super Bowl, it's just it, every aspect, every step of the way he's made those improvements, which I think is the most incredible thing. And it's the biggest fe- just tip of the hat to him for, for what he's been able to do there. Yeah, next year will be a big year for him to, to, to build on it. Offensive coordinators leaving. Roster's going to have a lot of new faces because uh, free agency, and they're going to have to pay Jalen. So, you know, this will be the next step is to build on it. Like, uh, you know, both of you guys kind of referenced there. A lot of guys have kind of had really great flash in the pan early, and then they get paid. The roster around them gets less good. Coaches leave, and they, they're not ever quite the same. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, with Jalen, and then yeah, to tie it up real quick too with with Creed and Orlando, that Eagles defense second most sacks in NFL history, and didn't have any sacks uh, in the Super Bowl. Obviously, with those two guys being a big part of it at center and left tackle, big time stuff. And uh, Orlando, I think, is a free agent also, so he's also probably going to get paid uh, pretty yeah. big time. Yeah, he's we'll a free agent. Um, I think their sack total was the was the most going into a Super Bowl in NFL history, and they had zero. Because that uh, Chiefs offensive line, which is phenomenal, that's why I picked the Eagles. Because it wasn't anything about the uh, Chiefs' offensive line; it was the Eagles' defense. Uh, Reddick and those guys. How do you? How are you going to keep them out of the backfield off a quarterback who's got a, ba- a bad wheel? And yeah. he re-injured it in the game, and he still was better than ever. Mahomes is uh, <laughs> Mahomes is ridiculous. He's yeah. not. Like I said, they just got Mahomes. Just is what it is. It happens to the best of us. So NFL's over, football's over, it's depressing, it's sad, but wait, the XFL is here to save us and to give us some football. Old Bob Stoops, back coaching the Arlington Renegades, that's the very first game on Saturday, the Arlington Renegades and the Vegas Vipers, Saturday afternoon, I think it's a 2 o'clock kick, and uh, Bob Stoops will be coaching the first game of the XFL Part 3, which comes up on Saturday. Yeah, six of you guys who wrote about them. Keith Ford, running back. Remember him? Yeah, he's in this league. Jordan Smallwood is in the league. He was in the XFL last time and did some pretty nice things. Laurent Stokes, Jeff Bidette, Charleston Rambo, Jordan Evans are all in this league. What are you guys watching for, if anything? Uh, what's the what's the intrigue? Which one of these players? Is it just Bob Stoops is your most interesting? 
what, what's the headline or storyline that you're going to kind of try and keep up with as uh, this XFL season goes through the spring here? Um, prediction, Jordan Evans could be a, uh, a XFL All-Pro. He's a guy that the <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals kept signing, kept signing, kept bringing back, kept trying to get on the field. He's just so athletic and so savvy the way he plays football. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that uh, he's going to be a guy in that league and he's going to get another shot in the NFL somewhere after, you know, having a good year or however long he's in the XFL. I think he's going to get signed. Probably he's probably not going to do the whole year there because he's going to get signed by some NFL team to come into camp. Um, he's, he's a good player. Uh, Leron Stokes left school early. Remember he had that extra year of eligibility last year. And now he's in the XFL. You don't leave school early to go to the XFL, but he's trying to get that, trying to take that next step, trying to work his way into being uh, somewhere on an NFL roster, get it, whether it's training camp money or practice squad money or landing a spot on a 53-man roster. Um, those are the guys, I, I think, that have the best shot. I, I'm a little surprised Jordan Smallwood is still playing, you know? I just I, I don't know why exactly. Well, <laughs> he's, he's not a blazer like Jeff Bidette, right? He's not a, a big, huge guy. He's, he's kind of a, that tweener model where he's got decent speed and he's got decent size, decent athletic ability. You got to have um, someone to run your jet sweeps to, Hoof. Ooh, you think Stoops is going to run a lot of jet sweeps to right Jordan there. Smallwood? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has a little uh, PTSD as most Oklahoma fans. Uh, and then Keith Ford, too. I mean, Keith Ford. What? You're still playing football? That's 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 impressive. He's dedicated to the craft for sure. Yeah, I just full transparency, the thing I'm most interested in, in the XFL is if they keep the chip in the football for the first downs. Like other than that, like what I remember of the XFL was a fine product for what it was. The biggest the biggest difference for the XFL as opposed to the USFL is that the XFL actually had fans in the stands, which helped. The USFL was a miserable watch because it was like all in Birmingham and no one was there ever. And it was hard for me to get juiced about that. Uh, I think Rambo has a shot to come in as one of, first off, I think younger guys like that are going to shine early on in this league just because a, a guy that is incredibly hungry to be like, no, 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 the NFL missed on me. I, I need to come in and show out. And he had a good last year at Miami. Uh, but I'm in full wait and see mode with the XFL because. I love football. There's a reason that one football league has dominated and the spring leagues have traditionally struggled to exist. And that's because you can tell when you're watching bad football and to go from that Super Bowl into the XFL is going to be an adjustment. It's going to be not, not yeah. a step down. It's going to be falling down a staircase down. Well, the thing that always kills these, these leagues, and I do think the XFL is a, a better product than the USFL. Not that it's, you know, a big, big, you know, uh, two, two tens, ten out of tens going against each other there. But I think that kills these leagues to me is always the quarterback play. Is always so – I mean, the NFL teams are able to find quarterbacks, fine enough. You know what I mean? So these other leagues have a hard time. And so we'll see. There's some no, there's some recognizable names in, in the XFL quarterback ranks, A.J. McCarron, guys like that. But we'll see. I'm with Ryan, though. Charleston Rambo is the one. I mean, he's, he's 23 years old. 23, that's it. I mean, he's got a lot of football left in him. And uh, if he can light up the league, I mean, we've seen guys before. I mean, just in the XFL, when it, it only played five weeks last time before COVID shut it down. And still guys came out of that. Taylor Heineke, P.J. Walker, and those are quarterbacks, but still other guys too that did enough to get noticed. NFL teams picked them up, and they're still playing in the NFL. So 
Charleston Rambo is a big one for me. And, of course, Bob Stoops. I mean, it's always funny to, to see Bob on the sideline wearing the Arlington Renegades getup. It, it's it's funny, and uh, good luck to him. We'll see what he does. He doesn't have Landry Jones this time, which that was hilarious last time around because Landry was, like, the most self-deprecating athlete I've ever heard. They would interview <laughs> him at halftime. He'd be like, yeah, well, I stink, you know, but we're having fun. You know, so they don't have that this time. But uh, it'll be it, it's fun. It, it's fun to watch. It's fun to flip too. Nobody's gonna just build their day around it. But it's fun to flip too. Why not? You so think uh, Rambo? You guys think Rambo has a chance to be the next Cavante Turpin? <laughs> Explode his way from USFL MVP into sure. the Dallas Cowboys. I think yeah, it's possible. I, I, when you look at it though, like the two profiles of guys that usually made the jump were quarterback or skill position, just because like. In the trenches, if you can play, the NFL is going to find you. They'll stash you on the practice squad, stuff like that. So that's no knock to anyone playing in the trenches. It's just if you can cut it, usually like the NFL, you can never have too many of those guys. And so for me, it's like someone like a Jordan Evans who battled injury a ton, you know, like on top of kind of in and out with with Cincinnati. Or you're looking at wide receiver play, frankly, from the OU contingent as far as guys that can maybe open another door for themselves. Yeah. Shout out Jeff Bidette, too. That guy just – talk about having some stick to He has been on lots of different teams, different leagues. He is he, – that guy loves to play, and he he's not going to stop until he can't anymore. Uh, so shout out to him, too, for giving another go at it in the XFL. I always kind of – I kind of respect that. So, all right, XFL this weekend. We'll see what Bob Stoops and these guys can all do. Do we? I'm um, not going to guarantee an XFL segment every week on the show, but <laughs> – no. <laughs> we need to be on the lookout for a future Oklahoma interim wide receivers coach out of the guys that are playing in the XFL. Maybe stash that for two or three years down the line. That's true. That's true. LaDamian Washington, XFL legend. Uh, that's, that's very, very, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe it is Jeff Bidette. You don't know. Maybe we'll see how that shakes out down the road. Hopefully Emma Jones works out better than that, but you never know. You never know how things are going to go. All right, we'll take a time out. come back. Other sports to get to. Basketball, of course, recap. They actually won a big game last night. We'll talk about that. And Porter Moser, he addressed the rumors. We'll talk about that as well. Softball, baseball, opening weekends, um, women's basketball as well. All that coming up next right here on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners Podcast, episode 174. Hit some other sports here on the way out. Send you into your post-Valentine's Day weekend, if that's a thing. Start with men's basketball. Um, So we'll get to the Moser, Notre Dame stuff in a second. Wild things in his press conference uh, earlier this week. But we'll start with the game last night against Kansas State. I mean, what can you say? Uh... They, they beat a good team. They did. I mean, Kansas State, number 12 in the nation coming in. OU had lost seven straight Big 12 games after they got splattered all over the place by Kansas on Saturday at Lloyd Noble Center. There was like 
five people in the crowd in the stands last night, but it didn't matter. OU played well. Um, it was kind of an ugly game. Lots of fouls. Lots of fouls. That officiating crew was calling everything, but they did enough, and they got the win. Groves played well. Uh, Tanner, that is. Uh, Jalen Hill played well. Grant Sherfield played well. Got some contributions from some young guys, and they got a win they had to have. Now, look, OU is still way off the bubble here, but the, re- the reality is, no, not sunshine pumping at all, that the schedule is so ridiculous that if OU stacks some wins, they have a chance to climb back into the conversation. They really do. Step one was winning yesterday, and they did that, and we'll see where they go from here if that actually turns anything around. But good win. They needed it. Yeah, if they get this to like 16 wins with the schedule that they have left, is they that going to be enough? They have a chance, yeah. They have a chance, but guys, they got to – here's the – I was thinking of this today. I was like emptying the dishwasher and some thought just shot into my head like an arrow, right? That's the frustrating thing is the phrase that OU fans are right now uttering to themselves over and over and over because they can play like this against Alabama. They can play like this against Kansas State but they can't play like this on a consistent basis. They can't play like this night in and night out. Two games in a row. That's the frustrating thing, I would think, for OU fans. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to win a bunch of games, and it's just not going to happen. What's the what's the two consistencies between Alabama and Kansas State that you haven't gotten elsewhere? Alabama, you knocked down 10 threes. Kansas State, you knocked down a season-high 11 threes. Elsewhere, it just hasn't happened for Oklahoma. Uh if they wanted to make the tournament, they needed to close out probably two of Iowa State at home, Texas at home, Baylor at home when you had all of those close opportunities and couldn't get it done. So it's a feel-good moment for them last night that uh, Tanner Groves talked about the desperation of not even worrying about what the record is, but these are his final games in college, wanting to go out the right way, stuff like that. It's encouraging, and I think – I know you fans don't want to hear this – I do think it's still a testament to Porter Moser and the coaching staff that the team has not mentally folded because if if you had lost the locker room, none of this would have happened. They wouldn't have bounced back and at least been in a position to cut it down to five points with three or so minutes left in Baylor and Waco, all that stuff. But uh, I, I guess the encouraging stuff is you got good minutes from Otega Owe, who's a young guy. Milos Uzon mm-hmm. was good last night. Another young guy that it looked like he had hit a freshman wall. Sherfield was really engaged, so if he comes back next year, then that's a guy that hadn't quit on this coaching staff, this team. That's what you're looking for because they're going to have to basically win all their games but one probably the rest of the way and make noise in Kansas City to make it to the tournament. And what we've talked about all year is that their non-conference is not going to hold up the same way it held up last year to help bolster them. So there's a ton of work they still have to do. But like Porter Moser said, like, you can't talk about any of that unless you started off with a win against Kansas State. So that was the baby step they needed to take. I was really struck last night watching those guys come off the floor of just the relief in their face. More than even, you know, excitement about the win or being pumped up. Just kind of like, thank God we needed to win a game really bad. A seven straight Big 12 losses, many of them blowouts. So to come back, like Ryan said, you got to get Porter credit. You too. Uh Number 12 team comes in. Oh, you took it to them, uh, especially in that second half. They're still playing hard. Somehow uh, they they are. They haven't quite given up. They got off to a good start, which has been so important. We've talked about that many times. 
need to get off to a good start. This team has not done a good job of bouncing back after they get off to bad starts. They got to a good start. They rode it. They hung tough through some K-State runs. They got a good win. And we'll see if they, they can do at Texas on Saturday. I mean, they're going to be big underdogs in that game. But if you find a way to steal that one, who knows? As as Porter said last night in his postgame, crazy things can happen in, in February, March. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Josh, go ahead. Say, say what you said earlier when we were on the break uh, about uh, the the fans and the feedback you had on your tweet. Because um, I, I just sure. we we discussed it briefly during the break. Uh, I wanted to expound on it a little bit here. Well, I, I was joking about it because back I think it was after OU lost a TCU by a thousand in Fort Worth. I made a comment on Twitter about you know. OU can probably stop complaining about the fans when the product is like this. I think I even said that on the pod that week, too. Because you just have no leg to stand on when the crowds are bad and you're playing like this. Now, last night, the crowd was horrible. It was probably the worst Big 12 attendance for conference game that I have ever seen. The games I've been there, there was nobody at that game last night. Ryan can attest. It was 50-50 with K-State fans. Jerome Tang even made a comment about it in his post game, basically like, we had more fans here than OU did. I made a comment about the crowd being bad and people got upset saying, well, they're not going to come if the crowd, if the, if the product is this bad, you, you, you can't have it both ways. W- which way is it? Either you support them no matter what, or the product has to be better. And, you know, we'll see how it goes from there. But the crowd was, was very, very thin last night, all time thin. It, it is a chicken or egg thing, right? Of mm. Good product, fans come in, make it exciting. Okay, well, how do you recruit guys that want to play in that environment? You have to have the environment first. Uh, This is just where OU basketball is. Flip on the TV on Monday night, a awful Texas Tech team who is in the cellar, exact same Big 12 record as Oklahoma, and Lubbock was just a freaking loony bin for Texas. And Oklahoma's had that this year. They were, Oklahoma packed it out, the fans did, for Texas loss the students came back packed it out the students did great showing against baylor loss alabama you have the crowd that you want they capitalize huge win you get the perfect storm of lack of storm against oklahoma state and the cowboys run you out of your own building for the fans you get all the passes in the world my expectation is for no one to come back into the lloyd noble center to support that team after what happened in bedlam so it's been a weird year for Oklahoma because they. it felt like at times in those moments they got the fan support they wanted. And, and Porter Moser talked about this after the Baylor game, that he was disappointed for the students because he got the student section he wanted and they weren't able to deliver a win. And he was thankful they came back against Alabama, thankful they came back against Oklahoma State. Oh, you didn't get it done. They got ran out of their own building against Oklahoma State. So you shouldn't expect any fans the rest of the season. And uh, no one gets to complain if there are no fans. It's just a – like. I, I don't think, Josh, you were picking on fans or anything. It was just a, you're here, this is the scene. You know what I mean? It's not a negative either way. I think everyone totally gets why. Right. Josh, after the Bedlam game, you used one of my favorite words for the, how they, how they played with such a good crowd in, in, on the floor, good crowd in the arena. And that was, they squandered that chance. They squandered that opportunity. That's the perfect word for you build that momentum against Alabama and bring everybody back for the Bedlam game. And it's like, okay, we got this thing figured out. Let's go. And then you play like you did that night with that many fans in the last, what, four minutes, six minutes, there was like nobody in the eight. arena. It was the, un- eight minutes. Yeah. It was the under eight timeout that the arena emptied. And that's where, 
Uh, Oklahoma State got all the Twitter clips that they want because the Oklahoma State fans who showed out as well stayed and got their SEC chants that are with no rebuttal, their Orange Power chants. You you ran your own fan base out of the building at the under eight timeout. Yeah, they basically playing playing that way. I don't know any other way to say it than just be an a hole and say you don't deserve a good crowd when you play that way. <laughs> yeah. Which I agree. I, you know, yeah, I, I made the comment that the crowd was horrendous last night, but I don't mean that. And I get it. It's, it's hard to convey. I don't blame any fans. Right? A Valentine's day night game on a Tuesday at eight o'clock for not going out to see a 12 and 13 basketball team. I don't blame them at all. Um, it, it was, it, it was real rough. I'm, I'm curious to see what it's like next Tuesday with Texas Tech coming in. The other team that's at the bottom of this conference, it's not going to be pretty that night either, I would imagine. Um, but there is a little bit of positivity right now um, around that team. They did get the big win, and that comes one day after Porter Moser. We talked about it on last week's show. The Notre Dame rumors are flying um, that supposedly he's interested. Notre Dame's interested. We talked about it on the show last week. It makes sense for Porter. It did to make that move to Notre Dame if it were to happen. There's a lot of reasons why. You can check out that show if you want to hear them all, but no need to rehash them. But he got asked about it on Monday, and he vehemently denied that there's any interest in him going to Notre Dame. He said no interest like 10 times. He said that Oklahoma is home like 10 times. And he said unequivocally it's a false report saying that I expressed any interest in that job. So. It wasn't, it wasn't quite the Lincoln Riley. I'm not going to LSU. It was way more impassioned than that. I believe him. It would be stunning to me if he left after that. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's on allstreams.com. It's like two minutes of him just denying that. He seemed to me like he was waiting for somebody to ask him. He wanted the chance to talk about yeah. it. I think it was overdue. It was overdue. Question and so I, I, you know, there you go, there you have it. He he, he expressed his commitment uh, to the team, so we'll see how it goes from there. But I, I think he's probably staying after that. It made sense to talk about it and to ask about it because why? Because he's a Catholic kid from Chicago, right? And that's exactly how he started his two yeah. minute ramble. Was I'm a Catholic kid from Chicago. I got a lot of respect for Notre Dame, of course. Uh, but then he went on to say, the Sooners, are, I have not pursued it, nor do I have any interest. Oklahoma is my home. The Sooners are my home. Uh, he said, I'm in the beginning process of turning this thing around and in the process of NIL and the transfer portal, I'm trying to do my best to turn this thing around and build a culture here, uh, as well as the COVID years he mentioned, which has got to be still a challenge when you look back on it. He said, this place means a lot to me. I'm home. The people here, the fan base, I've spent so much time with the student body, with the fan base, so no, I don't have interest. Um, unequivocally, he said, that is a false report. <laughs> unequivocally, yeah. said it twice. He said uh, that I, saying that I pursued the Notre Dame job, unequivocally. So, uh, nor do I want to. I mean, that's the, uh, the door is closed, it's been locked, and it's been sealed, if you ask me on that one. Yeah, we, we've joked a lot about the similarities ever since Brent Venables has been hired. We've talked about between Moser and Venables and the, the Spider-Man meme of the, the Spider-Mans pointing at each other from the passion, the way that they run things. But like the, the other thing, too, that I think you've noticed is like Porter Moser is for real about I'm here and I'm trying to build that connection. And for him, that connection's with the students. You get the students out. Those are the ones that bring the, the rowdiness. They're the ones that make it a fun atmosphere. And if it's a fun atmosphere, that's when everybody else comes, all that stuff. 
And so I think that's no shock that that Porter Moser kind of doubled down on his relationships in Norman and, and things like that. But yeah, this was this was different than I know a lot of people hone in on the Lincoln Riley LSU question after Bedlam, but when it had first come up, I think it was Ryan Aber that asked him earlier that year, and Lincoln just did the play the hits of this is a special play, all the stuff, stuff like that. Porter it was different. It was just different about the defiance almost of, I understand why you're asking me that. I understand why the reports are out there and he wasn't there to disrespect the reports. He was just like, I'm just telling you now those reports are false and we're done with it. And so that was different. If, if he leaves for Notre Dame after that, that feels a lot different after that speech. I, I just don't see it happening. Well, especially if he would have come out and said, uh, let, let, let me stop you right there. I'm not going to be the next coach at Notre Dame. Right everybody's alarms go off and say, holy hell, where's he going? Right. Nobody's buying that anymore. Yeah. He's going to USC. Yeah. Cause it's not so much. It's not yet. Yeah, he denied Notre Dame by name many times, but he also like, like you read who he called Oklahoma home many times as well. Talk about how much he's put into trying to turn this around. I definitely don't think he's leaving. Um, I give him a lot of credit for answering the question the way he did. Cause you know, it's a tough thing to ask a coach. You think he, he there's a decent to good chance he's just going to get mad and bite your head off, and then that's that. He gave two solid minutes and even made a joke afterward about it, like, hope that's clear, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, with a smirk, not like an angry, like a hope that's clear. Hope everybody can stop talking about that now, please, because I don't want that out there. So credit to him. Last night, in very long Kruger fashion after they win, He's walking around and he's thanking all the fans that that were there, which weren't many, but he thanked the ones that were there, saying thank you guys for coming. It is, it, he has said it many times, Ryan can attest, how much he wants to pack it out all the time. He said last year, remember, Ryan, I'm on a mission to fill that arena is exactly what he said. He did it this year, but they didn't win the games. And it 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 you know, you're not gonna keep it when that happens. So we'll see where he goes from here. I don't think the fans he hasn't won the fans back yet because um, that was the other part of the question was, have you, you feel like you've lost the fan base? And he said, he hopes not, but he kind of has right now. He has to win them back. He has to win them back right now. Um, he has all the, he says all the right things and he does all the, you know, he carries himself the right way and, and he, all that. But the bottom line is OU fans above all else care about winning and they're not you, winning right now. Do you think he would win the fans back if they were second in the nation in scoring and first in the nation in assists and averaged uh, 14, 15, 16 three-pointers a game? But like the way. women's team? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, here, here be my – It counts to, to play a style of basketball that is attractive sure. and appealing to the eye. You don't have to be the Golden State Warriors, but you have it, it's, it helps to be able to strive to play in that fashion. Here, like, the thing is, you can play like Virginia if you're winning and you're in the top 15. And you haven't won yet. And you haven't been in the top 15. I'd be interested to see if this offseason Oklahoma goes out and lands a bona fide center in the transfer portal, if that's enough for Oklahoma fans to say, all right, I'll give you this last year in the Big 12. Let, let's see what you've got. Just because that, to me, feels like just the easy layup that that Porter gets pounded on all the time. And, and that's because the roster is his control. and whatever reason nil tanner groves hard to recruit over him like he was unable to get in a center and i think that that's a lot of oklahoma fans feel demoralized because it's so easy to just point to well that's a matchup that every team can exploit 
Yeah, no, uh, it's going to be a big off season for them for sure, and we'll see how they uh, can add to it. And I mean, the fan, the fans did give them a lot of, you know, they even the Kansas crowd last Saturday wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't packed, it wasn't that bad. Um, a lot of Kansas fans, but <laughs> last night it was empty in there. Man, it it was it was rough. But they won the game, so we'll see how they go from here. Two home games left: Texas Tech and TCU. We'll see what they look like uh, in due time. I don't think we're getting NIT games in Norman this this year. We please hope that's more of a hope than a, than really a think. Hopefully that's not the situation. If it happens, it happens, but let's pray for that. Uh, flipping over to the women who are trying to get postseason games in their place uh, in Loyola Noble this year, like they did last year. They're doing a good thing. They won four games in a row. They have Texas tech tonight. They've kind of feasted on a little bit of a lighter spot in the schedule, which is what Jenny Bronchick has done. I mean, in, in her two years, have, has Oklahoma lost any games to teams that, like, oh, they really – that's a bad loss. Like, they only really lose to good teams, and uh, that's what they've done the last couple of weeks. They've taken advantage of a lighter spot in the schedule. They're on a four-game winning streak. Look to be in good shape. They're in the top 15 in the rankings, trying to get home games uh, in the tournament like I just referenced. Playing pretty good ball right now. We'll see how they finish the season strong, though. They play Texas Tech tonight in the pink uniforms. Yes, in the pinks, which are really a nice uniform. It's sharp. The pink, yeah, I like looks it. Looks good. Um, but uh, just to reference what I said earlier, I mean, guys, they play basketball the right way. They're fun to watch. Um, they don't have that dom- – we've talked about this in the past. They don't have that dominating athletic post, but they've got players who can put the ball in the basket from the post area, right? Get offensive rebounds, dump downs, check downs, whatever, uh, and put the ball in the basket. That's what you need if you're Oklahoma because they share the ball a couple of day, couple of games ago. I can't remember who they played, but it's like five different players had four assists or more. What? Who plays college basketball like that? You only play, you only get forty minutes. And uh, boy, they just they pass the ball, they share the ball, they set screens for each other. It's it's good basketball to watch. Yeah, and and here's the thing though. Last year, yeah, their struggles came in those ranked matchups, but remember when. Um, Lee at Kansas State. That was a Kansas State team that was just receiving votes at the time, and she absolutely dominated Oklahoma and Manhattan. They lost a game to Texas Tech in the Lloyd Noble Center by 10 points last year, and in their regular season finale, they lost a game to a, a mediocre Kansas team in the Lloyd Noble Center. I know by then they were out of the, the Big 12 race, but that's what Oklahoma's turned around so far this year. The losses they've had were a Baylor team that's not Baylor of the past, but a Baylor team that's playing a lot better at the beginning of the conference slate in Norman. They got that one back in Waco, uh, mm-hmm. went to, you know, and handled business in Manhattan, stuff like that. And they've set themselves up that Oklahoma should be able to handle the rest of the schedule and set up a de facto Big 12 regular season championship game against Texas in their home finale. That's what should happen. That's what Oklahoma needs to do because um, – I haven't seen did, did NCAA release their March Madness Super 16 uh, yet this week because last week Texas was 12 or 13 and Oklahoma was nowhere to be found and that comes from the committee. That's the committee that does that. So that just shows you that the Sooners need to continue to stack these yeah. wins they should have because they have no margin for error if they want to host again, which is definitely on the table, not not out of the. The question by any means, but you got to win these games. The only acceptable loss the rest of the way in the regular season is to Texas, and they need to win that game too. Really interested to see what they do in the postseason, uh, Big Twelve tournament, and uh, obviously the NCAA tournament. That's just you know not to discount what they're doing in the regular season, but we're we're all just looking ahead. What are they going to do when the lights are bright? You know, last year was a 
was disappointing. They got ran out by Baylor and Kansas City, got ran out by Notre Dame at Lloyd Noble Center in the tournament. How do they bounce back this time around? The whole season's building toward the postseason. So that's what we're looking forward to uh, here in uh, just a few weeks from now. Season is dwindling down in college basketball. Uh, postseason kind of sneaks up on you a little bit. Switching over to Diamond Sports to wrap up here. Softball opening weekend. They did go 5-0. and It was got hairy a couple of times. Uh, they got pushed. They had a couple of really close games. Had one game go to extras at 0-0 against Liberty. Obviously, Ryan, this is uh, your account, so we'll lean on you heavy here. But, hey, 5-0 is 5-0. They played some good teams. I don't think you have much to complain about if you're an Oklahoma fan. I mean, the offense had some big games. Pitching had some big games. I think overall, I mean, you're 5-0. and you went to a good event and you're five and zero. I don't know. I'm sure the the bar is so high that people still find things to nitpick. I'm sure, but they're five and zero. Five and zero. You've beaten three ranked teams. You've played three slash four almost close games. I guess two of them were run rules, so you played three close games. Uh, I was funny. I was I was covering the game Sunday and um, San Jose State and uh, uh, Patty um, Haley Lee was batting. I think third. And she came in and she got a big, you know, line drive, uh, two run, two run hit, two run single, I think, uh, might've been a double. I'm having trouble remembering exactly all the details right now, but that's your transfer from Texas A&M who put up the big numbers at A&M and you're like, okay, I see something here next at bat. Patty subs are out. Patty pinch hits her. And you're like, Whoa, what are you doing? And I leaned over my wife and I said, Clearly, Patty doesn't know what she's doing. She's lost this team. She, people are going to come after it, right? What does Grace Green do? She hits a grand slam. It right. was amazing. It was like Patty knows exactly. I was only kidding, of course. I wasn't. I would never say such a thing or believe such a thing. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the that, that's the thing. You got your hot hitter coming in, your transfer hitter, your three-hole, you're pulling her in her second at bat. Yeah, because Grace Green's going to hit a four-run bomb. Um, the story of the weekend for me, was probably um, Nicole May pitches eight innings of on a scoreless start to beat Liberty, and then uh, the two days later comes back and pitches three and a third innings in relief, scoreless again. She pitched eleven and a third scoreless innings, had a bunch of strikeouts, minimal number of walks, uh, but she was amazing in in starting, and she was amazing in relief for Jordy Ball. Uh, Should have been Big Twelve Pitcher of the Week. I'll say it that way. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like Nicole May is going to get judged unfairly against like everyone's like, oh, we're just taking for granted that Oklahoma's pitching staff has been just lights out because, again, they were really good. Uh, here are my couple of thoughts. First off, um, everyone freaked out at the Liberty game. Liberty's going to be freaking good. They're going to sneak up on a lot of people. That does not excuse what Oklahoma did as far as their inability to come through with runners in scoring position. That was kind of the glaring hole there. And for me, on paper, and what we said last week before the season still rings true, on paper, top to bottom, there is more power in this lineup than what Oklahoma had last year. The difference is Jocelyn Allo, her superpower was not that she's the best hitter I've ever seen in this game. It was not the intimidation mental edge when she steps into the box and opposing pitchers just look uncomfortable and all that. Jocelyn's superpower is that she was one of the most clutch athletes I've ever covered. When you needed something from Jocelyn Al, just think back to last year, regular season, her last regular season game at Marita Hines Field. What does she do? Go ahead, Grand Slam against Oklahoma State. 
Like you just needed some production. She hits a grand slam. You think about UCLA, the elimination game, Jocelyn Allo, just uh, revenge game with the hatred of a thousand sons, a couple homers, including a grand slam game. One of the championship series comes up a couple of homers, big time spots. That's what Oklahoma's lineup is missing. And that's going to be Tiari Jennings is going to be scouted. Like she's never been scouted before. She still had a pretty good weekend, but it's going to be the clutch hitting. That's what Jocelyn Allo brought. And that's what this team's going to have to find uh, things to be concerned. So I'm not as concerned about that. That's going to be a process. Haley Lee was awesome. Jordy ball did not look good. By Jordy Ball standards against Washington, that'll be something to monitor. It was really, really cold. It was unexpectedly cold. Oklahoma was not ready for the cold uh, as far as the conditions they were playing in. Jordy looked awesome against Duke. So that's going to be what we need to track is, was that the outlier for Jordy Ball? Or is that that she maybe is not the same pitcher coming off that forearm injury? That to look at. And then, yeah, Alex Duraco, no one's going to talk about her. She was awesome. And for Nicole May to stick with this program, she could go and walk in and be in the ace at 95% of programs in the country to get perceived as, hey, they brought in, you know, obviously Jordy Ball, but Hope Troutwine as well. Last year, that eight into innings didn't phase Nicole May. They brought in Alex Duraco again this year. That didn't phase Nicole May. And I think that's kind of the really cool thing in the era of the portal we should be celebrating those athletes that are like, no, I love it here, and I'm not going to pitch 200 innings, and that's okay because I want to be a part of this team. Probably a good thing in the long run too that they had some close calls, you know, and, and you had to you you probably get a lot more. Out of, I think Patty said as much. You get a lot more out of those than than uh, just run ruling everybody. So and, we'll have no weekend for them. And that Longwood game, I know everyone's going to look at the Baylor game. Hey. Longwood is a program that uh, pops up and has major upsets. They already have one this year against, was it yeah. Florida State? So that Longwood game should be a, does this team have the right mindset, come out and dominate? If so, that's where you go, okay, first weekend, shaking off the cobwebs, moving forward. Because across college softball, Oklahoma, UCLA, it wasn't eight run rules between the two of them, but like they're the class, and you saw – Alabama dropped a game, Florida State dropped a game, Oklahoma State lost to Maryland, Texas stallballed for a tie against Kentucky, which was absurd. Like, there's the parody is there except for Oklahoma and UCLA through one weekend. Yeah, next up, the Getterman Classic, which is in Waco. Yeah, you mentioned it. Longwood to start, Stephen F. Austin, Army, and then Baylor. That's what they got this weekend. So uh, keep with all centers for recaps of those games. Probably going to be 9-0 after the weekend based off that, but we'll see how it shakes out. You never know. You never know. Like uh, like Ryan said, uh, Longwood is coming off a big win just a few days ago, so we'll keep it up with that. Coming up this weekend for Patty Gasso's team. Wrapping up, baseball opening weekend is this weekend. Ping on Friday, opening day. California Baptist comes to town, uh, to Norman, to start the season. I've been told that they are good enough that you know you can't just sleepwalk through the series, basically. And then they have Air Force on Monday to kind of wrap up the uh, the homestand to open the season here. Excited to see it. Uh, they had media day on Saturday, so we got to hear from Skip along with four players uh, getting the start of this new season. Going to be lots of new faces. I mean, anybody who was kind of was – OE Baseball picked up a lot of new fans last year in that run to Omaha, and they probably haven't really kept up with it too much. Now it's February, and they're like, okay, OE Baseball is back. Let's see what they're doing. It, you're not going to recognize many of the players. A lot of the guys who are big parts of that run last year are gone. Peyton Graham, Jimmy Crooks, Tanner Treadaway. I mean, the, the the whole rotation, the whole pitching staff, Trevin Michael, the closer. They're all gone. But Skip Johnson has done a really good job of reloading. 
They're extremely athletic. Pitching staff is going to be good again. They're going to be a good team, and I'm excited to see what they look like uh, coming up uh, on Friday. I'll be there for opening day against California Baptist. Hoof, you were in that's Omaha with makes, me. Yeah, no, that, that's what makes uh, baseball so uh, impossible is because it's hard. There are, there are so many avenues for the players to leave and move on to professional baseball, move on to the transfer portal, whatever, junior college after one year, whatever you got. Um, there's so many avenues for them to leave. And when you think about the sustained excellence, like we talked about in the opening segment about in, the, in the SEC, how those teams are able to reload with so much talent and then send those talent, send that much talent into the professional ranks every year and then reload again. It's unbelievable. It's amazing the work that they do. So, um, oh, you caught lightning in a bottle last year and, you know, Skip is, I, did he get a contract extension, Josh? I think so. I believe, yeah, I believe he did. I believe I him, so. he and he was allowed to uh, hire a couple of coaches um, and they, they got nice contracts as well as I, as I recall. I mean, we're going back to the summer here, so I'm having to play the thing back in my head, but yeah, um, Skip's got a, uh, he's got to reload. He lost a lot of talent. He lost a lot of, not just talent, but experienced talent off that team last mm-hmm. year that we covered in Omaha. Yeah. Here's always the weird thing with Skip is that he's such a good recruiter. His best recruits never play in Oklahoma because they go straight to the MLB draft and they go straight to the draft at a really high level. And so when you look at the last three or four years, 2020 was going to be a trip to Omaha and that got taken from him. They didn't get to see that, didn't get the the flash of being able to go to Omaha and, and be on the TV sets of recruit stuff like that. 2021 was a tough reload. Last year they reloaded again. It was awesome. And so we know this staff can develop those players. It's just a matter of um, continuing to hit. That, that's kind of the point you were talking about. Hoove is that it's really difficult to, every year hit on all those juco guys coming in uh but the one thing we know is that like the recruiting's not an issue for skip in the way that other programs you talk about like n- no he recruits so well that it, like the turnover is a byproduct of both his good recruiting and his development and, and so um I- i'll just be interested to see how that thing comes together and, and that's what's really exciting and uh, for me is that you know that the product Oklahoma puts out in the first month of the season is not going to look close to what they are come May. It's just a matter of how good is that starting point and are they going to start at a level where we're talking about playing your way back into the hunt for Omaha as opposed to they need to make those improvements to to be competitive, to be a, a regional host or, or kind of get in. And that was the conversation in 2021 is they needed to make those improvements just to get into the tournament. Yeah, and that, that's what I would preach for, for OU fans, kind of trying to get some expectations if they're curious when I'm going to forecast what the team's going to be like. I would preach patience uh, to start this year because there is so many new faces. I think that – and you got to remember last year, you know, revisionist history on last season, they didn't really hit their stride until about the middle of April, and that's where they just started to take off. That's when they found all those freshmen that were big parts that are back, Jackson Nicholas, Wallace Clark, John Spikerman – those guys all didn't play hardly at all until the middle of the season last year. So you got to give Skip some time to move the chess pieces around and figure out what lineup works, what rotation works, the bullpen hierarchy. It takes some time. You can't really figure that stuff out until you start playing games. It's just hard to, to find it. And they have new faces here that are exciting. Bryce Madrin, people are really excited about. He had a massive fall. He's going to be in right field almost certainly. 
Uh, Dakota Harris is your new shortstop. Big shoes to fill there for Peyton Graham. Easton Carmichael, your new catcher, filling in for Jimmy Crooks. So, I mean, you have guys who are stepping into big roles here right away. So give them some time, I guess, would be my my, my biggest advice for OU fans coming into this season. Yeah. That mid-April stretch you're talking about is when we started writing the game recaps as Oklahoma won its second straight Big 12 series. Oklahoma won its third straight yeah. Big 12 series, fourth straight, fifth straight Big 12 series. And then it was like, wait a minute, they're in second place in the conference race? From you know down in the bottom area, they climbed and they kept just kept winning conference series every weekend. So that was an impressive run. Something that uh, I want to touch on, Jada Coleman said in her media day press conference was, "We may have a lot of new faces that you guys don't know. You guys think that we just roll out there on day one and start playing together." She said, "We've been playing together since the fall. We went through fall ball scrimmages, practices, uh-huh. all this stuff." So I think that relates to baseball as well. A lot of new faces that we don't know, a lot of new faces that we haven't seen practice and haven't seen play. Uh, but these guys have been together now since the start of school back in August. So um, that may, may not be as big a deal as you as you would think, but it, it almost ends up invariably being a big deal uh, once the season gets here and you start losing close games or you start blowing leads or you start committing errors at the corner, whatever it is. You look for you look up and you say, "Well, he's a new guy. He's a new guy." You start making that excuse for him. So yeah, um, they have been together, but the fact of the matter, all due respect to Jada Coleman, they haven't played together. They haven't been in those fires together. Yeah, the thing I just love about Skip is he's so. When you talk to him, it's hard to come away and think. And this is not like a not like he makes the game sound so simple. And I think yeah. that's part of like the success is that skips like, look, yeah. I was listening to him. He was talking with Eddie Rossovich and Todd Lizzie on the franchise. And he was just like, yeah, that my advice to the pitchers is to get a photo of a glove, blow it up as a fat head and put that on your mirror in your bathroom. And then basically <laughs> it's just, all I can tell you is just throw the ball to the glove. Every single, every single time, if you just throw the ball to the glove and trust your stuff, things are going to work out for you. And so I think that's why, the teams get better and better and better is that for the most part, a credit to that coaching staff is early season errors. Things not being perfect. doesn't stick with the team because they have the, just the magic sauce of getting through to the guys to almost relax them and be like, just play. You, you wouldn't have got here to Oklahoma if you couldn't play baseball. Now you just need to, to play. It's going to be fun. Look forward hey, to Josh, real quick. I'm not sure. making a prediction here that OU is going back to Omaha or <laughs> that they're not going back to Omaha. I'm just saying if they do, potential game changer for you and me, my nephew bought a Keurig. We don't have oh, to wow. no more scooters every day anymore for coffee. They had a they had a, like a no coffee policy in the house or whatever it was. He said, we got a Keurig for you guys, so if you come back, well, hey. coffee is yeah all the coffee you can drink. Well, hopefully they can uh, find their way back. That's great news for me because I was sitting here going, do I need to book my vacation for right after softball closes down? Or am I, am I going to draw the, I get to be Josh's number two and let him direct me all throughout Omaha. I didn't know how that was going to go. It was, uh, decided. <laughs> it was a journey. It was a journey uh, there last year. Um, what, we, what was the final total? 15 days? We were in almost 16 days? Like that. It was like two full weeks. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, was, two it was full a long weeks. time. It was a long it's time. It's the longest I've ever been on any trip in the history of my career. And I'm an old guy now. So that's saying something. It was nuts. It was nuts. And we'll see what they can do this year. I do expect Oklahoma to be a tournament team this year. I'll say that. Yeah. As far as, you know, it is so hard to get to Omaha. So hard. You got to be 
red hot to get there. And uh, so I, I, I'm hesitant to predict that for any team, <laughs> you know, let alone a team that replacing as much Oklahoma is. This rotation is going to be fun. Cale Davis, Oklahoma State transfer. He's probably going to be your number one, at least to start the season. Uh, your, your Friday night guy, your opening day starter coming up here in a couple days. And then they got some youngsters, some like freshmen who are going to be starting games, I think, for this team. So in the pitching rotation, I mean. So that'll be fun. Give them time. Give them patience. And I think this is a really big year to kind of close here on Baseball Preview. This is a really another really big year. Last year when we did this show, I talked about how big of a year it was for skipping the program because of the move to the SEC. And last year, 2021 was, was you know really not what they wanted. Below 500, missed the tournament. All that stuff we talked about. This year is really big again, but for a totally different reason. Because they have all this momentum off of last year. They picked up so many new fans last year. So many people found OU Baseball for the first time last year in that run to Omaha. They got all those donations. They have all these facility renovations that are planned out for the SEC move. Oklahoma is looked at as a baseball program on the rise nationally. As one of those ones that's really climbing and going to continue to go. So you need to follow that up with another good season. I'm not saying you need to get back to Omaha or anything like that, but you, you know, it, it would be a shame to ha- for them to have a tough season and they kind of lose a lot of that. If you can re- re- return to the tournament, maybe host a regional, that would be huge to continue that that upward climb. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. It starts on Friday. I guess California Baptist. Looking forward to getting back out to the park. Feels good. Spring just feels good in general. I think that's it for us. We'll be back next week, wrapping up uh, baseball opening weekend, along with softball, basketball action, as well as all the latest from football, as per usual. Be back next Wednesday at normal time. We'll let you know all that we heard from Venables and the mountains of players uh, that we're going to get tomorrow down there in Norman. You can catch that show next week, right back here, same time, same place, on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Let's post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows as well on his YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for us. We'll be back next Wednesday. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.